Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me on this Tuesday, June 30th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next 20 to 25 minutes or so as we go over the Rocket Mortgage Classic and this weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 400 at the Brickyard, whatever the hell that thing's called. We'll talk about that with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. Previews already up over at bangthebook.com for the Rocket Mortgage Classic. For this weekend's NASCAR Cup Series event, the Xfinity Series at Indianapolis Motor Speedway will be run on the road course. That's the Pennzoil 150. Once odds are up for that, we'll get those up. Also still covering the KBO over there. Big UFC card this weekend. Preview coming today or tomorrow for that. And of course, talking some Major League Baseball stuff as well with that starting up here uh, in about, what, three and a half weeks time or so. As you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. One guest on the program here today, that is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotlines. Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. How you doing, pal? Doing all right, buddy. Appreciate your time, as always, here, sir. And uh, I guess we'll head on up to Detroit to start things off here today with the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And, you know, you and I talked on Tuesday, (coughs) excuse me, we talked about the Travelers Championship, that the first two events, really, really good, really strong fields, a little bit of drama on Sunday in the Travelers. But this Rocket Mortgage Classic field, the first one we've had since the return that's just not jumping off the chart to me. But I think it will be like the first three weeks where I think there's drama. Actually, there shouldn't have been drama this past week. I I don't know what Dustin Johnson was thinking. He gets the three-shot lead, hammers one OB when he – I mean, it's easy to say after the fact. He only went out of bounds by a yard. But on a par five, you just hit the fairway. You got a three-shot lead now. Uh, That was suspect. The one that was crazy was – he hits 1,000 golf balls, 999 of them are in the water. Ball lands up literally a foot and a half from the water and plugs uh, on 15. And then they come back from the rain delay with a two-shot lead and, you know, just hit the middle of the green, shoot to the meat of the green, you know, two-putt, get out of there. And he goes flag hunting, short-sides himself, and takes a bogey. Uh, you know, his thought process was, it was unbelievable. I mean... He tried to give that away, but to his credit, he, it's a remarkable accomplishment. Another year, every year on tour, a guy's got a, a win. That's a remarkable accomplishment, and it was his putting that was incredible, I mean, throughout the day. So I was kind of a, it was an interesting tournament that really uh, should have been interesting, but I think there were things that happened on Sunday that are going to help us find a winner today or this well, and, as, and as we look at this Rocket Mortgage Classic field, if you're a course history better, you don't have much here because this is only the second year of this event took over for the Quicken Loans National. Last year was the first year there at Detroit Golf Club. And, you know, when we look back at last year, it was old Nate Lashley. You know, not exactly a household name, but he crushed the field one by six shots, dominated in strokes gain, was the second best putter in the tournament. He was the fourth best guy in tee to green. He was just really, really good in every possible way. Doc Redman was the runner-up. And 
Brian, you know, what's interesting about this is we talked about Doc Redmond last week. I even saw him at some of the U.S. sports books. I think he was at DraftKings at like 300 to 1 last week in the Travelers. He's 25 to 1 this week at five dimes to win this Rocket Mortgage Classic. So that speaks in the field a little bit, but he has played well, was the runner-up last year. What are you kind of looking at here this week in Detroit? Well, again, I mean, I think we're looking at it and saying some of these numbers flat out just don't make any sense. You know, we're always trying to find soft numbers. And in the golf, we're finding ridiculous numbers. Now, they end up being proven right because only one guy wins a golf tournament. But there are some guys that are 140 to 1 that I would play them head-to-head in a matchup with 50 guys ahead of them. Uh, you know, you're sitting there just looking for overlays. You know, DeChambeau's a favorite at 6 to 1. And he's just played great. And he snake bit a little bit. I mean, the frustration on his face, lipping out birdie putts, and the putters kind of let him down a little bit. Webb Simpson will win a few weeks back, 12 to 1, the price is no good. Patrick Reed, Ty Hatton was 60 to 1 two weeks ago, 16 to 1 now. Uh, Matsuyama, I don't know. Don't, don't trust him. Uh, Hovland played well this past weekend. That price is way too low. The breaks hurt Sung J.M. more than anybody. Uh, then Ricky Fowler's at 33 to 1. It's a name. I mean, I, Ricky Fowler, in terms of the track record to win, you know, the, the price is ridiculous. I will tell you, from what I watched this past weekend, uh, I think, and he's been bet down from 40 to 33. We did a podcast yesterday. Uh, Kevin Na, Tita Green was really, really good. And the thing is, you know, when, when you watch and you learn and you listen, like the two weeks ago, when on Saturday they're telling us about, I didn't know this, that Berger had the consecutive rounds under par streak. Well, Sunday morning, bet him at 14 to 1. Thank you for the information and lucked out and got the win. Well, Kevin Na, before the tournament, the first tournament back, he was picking one of his kids up and he wrenched his knee. So he missed the cut and he was hurt. Uh, you know, so we rested a little bit. And, uh, you know, we think of these guys, you know, they walk a lot. There's a lot of hills. If your knee's not right, <laughs> it's not good. Anyway, he comes back this week. He rolls in a. Yeah, he was over that putt on 18 like it was to win the tournament because it had to be for a couple hundred grand, and he makes the 18-footer. Kevin Knott coming in here 40-1 to 1, uh, I think is a real good price. And, a, and another guy that played really well, he shot 66 three days in a row, shot 67 on Sunday, which wasn't good enough to get it done. But Patton Kazire is 175-1? to 1? That's insanity. And, and like you said, this is a diminished field where – you know, the name guys, anybody can win this thing. The uh, the one ridiculous overlay to me is 80 to 1 is Brendan Todd, who won twice uh, earlier in the year, back-to-back weeks. So he's got this window and past history of really good short-term form cycles. And he's tied with Dustin Johnson. The guy had one bad hole. He took a triple bogey. It was it, he, it, we, he got a horrible break. He's on a side hill lie. And he skulls one over the back of the green. He should have just punched it back into the green, took his bogey, get out of dodge. He got greedy, took a triple. He had his heart ripped right out of his chest. He had one bad hole. He hit virtually every fairway for four days. And he's won twice earlier this year. And he's 80 to 1. He's 80 to 1, and Ricky Fowler's 33 to 1. How does that make any sense? Yeah, like you said, you know, it's it's about name value, and it's about some of these guys kind of getting their prices pushed down a little bit. I will say this, of the short prices, I do like Hovland this week. I would not play, you know, 13, 14 to 1 like he's out there now. 
I think I saw him at one of the U.S. books at like 25 to 1, which of course, being in Ohio, I don't have access to. 25 to 1 is a pretty good price on Hovland if you can find one. Probably at this point in time, I imagine that you really can't. JT Poston's a guy that I'm kind of looking at here this week because last year, granted, it was the first year of this event, but it was a putting tournament. I mean, Lashley won at 25 under. Redmond was second at 19. Bunch of guys 15 under or better. JT Poston's a really, really good putter. He's been playing pretty well. He's kind of my guy there in that 35 to 40 to 1 range you and I like to look at. A couple other names I want to throw out here. Lucas Glover at 60 to 1. He's not a bad look this week. He's been playing pretty well overall. Looked pretty good in this event last year. Uh, didn't really, you know, have a great finish. Didn't putt super well. Other than that, he played relatively well. Kevin Kisner's a guy in that 45 range. Very good putter. They say that the rough is going to play a little bit tougher this year than it did last year. So I kind of looked at guys that sort of hit it down the middle and then putt it really well. Uh, you know, like a JT Post and like a Kevin Kisner. That type of guy. Uh, a couple of longer shots I was sort of taking a look at here. And, you know, this is a guy that we talk about a lot. A guy that not a whole lot of people think about because he mostly plays over on the European Tour. Peter Uline. You know, Peter Uline played really, really well in the Charles Schwab. Hasn't played the last two weeks. But he's very, very good in par four scoring. All the par fives on this course are birdie or better holes. The par fours are what will dictate the winner. So I think a guy like uh, Peter Uline at that 135, 140 to 1 type of price, he's not a bad look. And I'll throw out one more for you here. Home course type of guy, Brian Stewart is 115 to 1. He's from the Detroit area, played his college golf at Oakland University, top five in this event last year. He led the field in strokes gained putting last year. I don't know, you know, his current form isn't particularly awesome. No, but he played he good does this weekend. Know this course. He played good this past. He was in the sixties every round last week. And Brian Stewart's a guy we talked about him probably on this podcast last year. Nobody ever heard of this guy. And when they went to Detroit for the first time, we're sitting there going, He's the only guy we were looking. We're, we're trying to this guy. Well, who's got the home course edge here? And we mentioned Brian Stewart last year at like, you know, like two hundred to one. And he finished top five. Now, and the thing was that he'd be followed by friends and family, and he'd have the support, and, yeah, he knows the course. Well, there's no fans. But, yeah, Stewart's a guy we talked about on the podcast at that price that, you know, in his own backyard. There's two guys, uh, well, specific to one. And by, by the way, your description of what it takes it's going to take to win this thing makes me feel even better about two guys specifically, and that's not and Brendan Todd. Is Brendan Todd hit, I think, every fairway but two, and one he missed in the shortcut rough. I mean, Todd just drove the ball. Uh, unbelievable. The, uh, you know, I, I just, oh, here. You know, the pressure of winning a tournament, you know, it's one of my favorite events every year is, is the Q School. You know, the, watching those guys, the pressure of, Will I make the PGA Tour? And you watch some of these guys unravel. Well, I got to tell you something. On Sunday, and he cost me money. He beat Shoffley in a matchup, cost me a nice big parlay on the matchups on Sunday. This Will Gordon was playing on Sunday, knowing if he finished third, that he would get his tour-exempt status. Because other than that, he was going on being an alternate with guys cutting out 
and maybe a handful of exemptions he'd get in. Well, sure enough, this guy fires a great round on Sunday with the pressure of being able to play this week. And he finished third. And now he can sit there and the air's out of the balloon, but he answered the bell in that pressure. And now he's coming in here with the weight of the world off his shoulders, knowing he's going to get to play every week. I, you know, Will Gord at 90-1, to 1, I, it might be worth a peek. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good one. I like that one, too. And, and again, I mean, you know, we're talking about kind of some longer shots to win, maybe hitting on a few of the lower prices, like a Kevin Na, like a Victor Hovland, stuff like that. Matchups are out there. Props are out there. Uh, you know, most of the U.S. books outside of Nevada do top five, top 10, top 20, stuff like that. So, even some of these long shot guys, you know, like a Michael Thompson at 125 to one, uh, you know, like some of the other guys we mentioned, Uline, some of the longer prices, you don't necessarily have to take them to win. You can take them four top fives, top 20s at, you know, plus 300, plus 350, stuff like that. A lot of different ways to go about betting golf. And, you know, like we talked about last week, Brian, I mean, I think that's been a really big draw here for a lot of novice betters that are approaching golf is that. You've got matchups. You've got the group matchups. You've got three balls. You've got, you know, all these different ways of betting these golf tournaments that is 125 to one shot going to win it? No, probably not. If one does, it makes your whole year. But there are alternative ways of betting these guys, too. No, again, I, I think the strategy is play higher, higher numbered guys on the way in and focus on matchups and then come back with the adjusted future odds heading to the weekend before moving day. And, you know, you'll, you'll get a high-end golfer. Um, you know, my best guess is before Saturday when uh, Dustin Johnson shot the big round, my best guess is you probably could have got a price on Dustin Johnson on Friday night that was higher than what his odds were before the tournament. And again, too, I mean, as, as we talked about, you know, with this being a putting tournament last year and a lot of guys kind of posting some low numbers, I mean, we, we've seen that. A lot of guys have been posting 63, 64, DJ with a 61. You know, guys can go out there and post a low number on Saturday at 20 to 1, something like that, put themselves in contention for Sunday, roll right on into it. So even if prices on guys like this, I mean, you could get a better price on Deshambo Friday night than the six to one he's at right now. Same well, thing the, with Simpson, maybe Hovland. Good idea to start looking at those. I know you've talked about that a lot, but for our listeners that may be new to golf or maybe haven't been betting golf as much, those opportunities are there on Friday night for sure. Well, Dustin Johnson's interview after he won the thing was pretty interesting. He said, yeah, there's no fans. Uh, he goes, it's it's odd. He said, but the crazy thing is, he says, Thursday and Friday, not so much. You're out there. You know, some of these guys are coming out slapping around. But now you get to the weekend, and he said, he said it's not any different. He said, you know, you're feeling the pressure. And that pressure absolutely exists. He said, and it ratchets, ratchets up on Saturday. So, you know, some of these guys that are rabbits out of the gate on a Thursday or Friday, uh, uh, I mean, he, he had a good rally, but the Mackenzie Hughes kid come out of the gate, right, 10 under par. What did he shoot, a 60, was it? Or a 61? Yeah. On Thursday, he hung around because of that great round, and he, he made a couple of bombs on Sunday and cashed a nice check. But the bottom line is you know, the, the guys that are going to get the job done on the weekend, are, they start kicking it into gear on Saturday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, you're trying not to shoot yourself out of it. And then the crazy thing is, like for this tournament, the bombs, bombs are in play, 
because there are only a handful of names that are up there that might have a quote-unquote intimidation factor. Well, and of course, what used to be the memorial is apparently now the workday charity open next week well, at Mirfield well, Golf Club. So they're they're actually playing there. I was looking at this. We we're like, what's this? They're playing there back to back weeks. Oh, are the, they? The memorial there oh, is there. Yeah, it is. Okay. The memorial is there the week after. So there's a real odd dynamic where they're playing back to back. Now I don't know what the field will be for the first one. Um, and I, I haven't. Is, is Tiger showing up at at Memorial? I would imagine so. But that makes sense because the purse for this first one is $6.2 million. The purse for the Memorial is nine point three. So, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. But, obviously, you'd look at a guy or two that plays well in this thing uh, you know, next week and, and apply him to the following week. But probably the, the way you would do it would be a guy that struggles to make the cut and then has a good weekend and figured something out uh, to get you a price. Yeah, and of course, too, I mean, you know, look for some of these guys that are, are maybe in this 70 to 80 to 1 range this week that play well. They're probably going to be, you know, 20 to 30 or, you know, maybe 40 to 1 next week in that shorter field. But, you know, maybe there's good opportunities with matchups and stuff like that on those guys for the uh, back-to-back there in Dublin. I didn't know that. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised, though, that uh, there'll be some, na- you know, there'll be a good field for that, even though, the, I mean, 6.3 is nothing to sneeze at. You know, winners, I don't know. The winner probably still gets, you know, maybe still gets a million. I don't know. Eight, if it's knocked down, it's knocked down. So be it. But those, a lot of guys are going to use that and say, "Hey, listen, uh, if I if I cash it, cash a number, great. But I'm I'm getting some really quality work in for the memorial. So I think the field will be good for that tournament. Well, we'll definitely, re- we'll revisit that one next week, and of course have the back to back weeks at uh, Mirfield to talk about, but. Let's go out to Indianapolis Motor Speedway here, and uh, it's very weird to be talking about NASCAR on July 4th weekend at IMS. Usually, they're down at Daytona for the Coke Zero 400, but now they're at Indianapolis here, and this was scheduled, much like last week's doubleheader at Pocono. The Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 400 was the Big Machine Vodka 400 last year. Kevin Harvick, your four to one favorite. Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, both in the five to six to one range. Truex and Keslowski, eight or nine to one, about around there. Those are the only single digit prices out at five dimes. As always, shop around for the best prices. Uh, Logano, Blaney, Elliott, the next group of guys. And then a big drop on down to Eric Jones. But Brian, we got a big track here two and a half miles, 160 laps for this one. Yeah, it's Indy, and the defending champ is Harvick, and his car's been, you know, consistently one of the best cars uh, all year long. Kyle Busch has won there a couple of times. Kozlowski two years back. Kozlowski always seems to put himself in position. You take a look at him. I'm kind of uh, all about Chase Elliott this week. It's still a lot of work to be done for this, but I'd be looking uh, at Chase Elliott. By the way, Jimmy Johnson's won this a bunch of times. His car's been good, but he's snake bit. The the one thing we talked last week, it, it was almost a stroke on the board. I mean, Denny Hamlin uh, in the Joe Gibbs cars kind of own Pocono, and he had the best car both days. Uh, basically, on the first race Saturday, Harvick won it, but he basically he won it with pit strategy, and you know Hamlin Hamlin's driving like a beast. I mean, it's hard to exclude him from anything. Kyle Busch is just having real bad luck all over the place. But I, I think a guy like Chase Elliott uh, kind of kind of sneaks in here. I don't know if it's under the radar. 
And that's the one rub that the difference here is, you know, you, you look at the prices that are available to you. You know, a guy like Elliott, uh, he's only 6-1, to one, you know, but he's like the fifth choice. Yeah, this is an interesting one because, you know, you do have a lot of history here. I mean, a lot of these guys have 18, 19 races here, especially some of the big ones. Harvick, 13 top 10s out of his 19 races. Kyle Busch, 11 top 10s out of 15. Both of those guys with two wins. Jimmy Johnson's a four-time winner here, but I think the last one was 2012 or uh, no, 2015, something like that. Only one top five finish here since then. You know, this is a, an interesting race because, you know, this is one where a lot of it's about the car because it's a big track, flatter corners. So there's really not a whole lot of speed you can take up into the corners, high bank, come back around. A lot of this has to do with the car. And, and when you talk about the best cars, it is Harvick. It is Hamlin. It is, you know, Keslowski. It is Elliott. You know, and Elliott's price actually moving down a little bit here this morning. So some people definitely taking a look at him. I just, I don't think that this is a great race. And you and I have tried to pick off some of these, looking at like an Eric Almirola, looking at a William Byron, something like that. I don't think this is a great race to sort of go with some of those longer shots. I think you kind of got to find one of those short prices that you like and just kind of roll with that. Yeah, I mean, there'd only be a couple of guys I'd, consider at, at a at a crazy price you know i think william byron starting to get it together a little bit amarola had a great car on saturday uh amarola maybe's worth a peak he's got four straight top 10 or top fives doesn't he uh, he's been right driving been really well yeah he's been good actually he may you know it was the pit strategy that harvick won the race on saturday cost Almarola who had led the most laps. So Almirola is kind of interesting. Uh, There's something about the Tyler Reddick kid. I think he's going to win one. Uh, He's a rookie, but they they really like this kid. I mean, he's kind of balls to the wall, right? I mean, he's all out all the time. And he he gets, you know, he he gets involved in some wrecks and things like that. But he's got a fast car. The other guy who is... I just think sneaky, really good, but it's it, you know it, obviously the power brokers that are above him. But don't don't sleep on what the Benedetto does on a weekly basis for the Wood Brothers car. I mean he he gets the most out of that car. So it's Indy. I you know I don't I, I don't know necessarily the the big ones in play like it is at Talladega, but crazier things have happened. But like I said, I, I'd kind of run with a guy like uh, like Elliot Elliot here. It, it's hard to leave Hamlin off any. Any play, but I mean, when you get into matchups, you know, I, I, I do. I, I look to the kind of the middle tier guys with the real opportunities. That the, some of the best betting opportunities are actually the guys that are running fifteenth to twentieth. Yeah, especially like you said, you know, with the matchup angles and, and some of the different things you could take a look at here. Like, um, you know, we mentioned William Byron; he's a small favorite, plus two twenty-five over Bowman, De Benedetto, and Johnson in his group. Uh, Reddick is plus 250 in his group with Bell, Dillon, and Kenseth. Another guy who runs really well here, and, and he's an Indiana guy, Ryan Newman. He's plus 230 in his matchup with Stenhouse, Busher, and Cole Custer. Newman, I mean, you know, the, the results ne- haven't necessarily been there and obviously had that very, very scary crash at the Daytona 500 to open the year where he was, you know, running up at the front of the pack. He feels like kind of a big track guy. So maybe Ryan Newman in some matchups or in some group play could be worth a look. Yeah, and the thing about a track like this, 
uh, other than the the front straightaway is and into turn one. It's hard to pass here, and Newman's a real hard guy to get by. Yeah, it could definitely be a, a good angle there with Ryan Newman. Last thing I want to ask you about here, Brian, as we finish up, I believe I saw that, uh, what, the NHL's down to the final four cities here, Edmonton, Toronto, Chicago, and Vegas? Yeah, I think uh, we did a Zoom interview deal, one of those conference calls with Braden McNabb from the Golden Knights last night, and he said, I got the impression the players are voting on not only the CBA but on the, the return to play, and it could be happening today. And that's the, the, the league can't announce the hub cities until they get the players to say, yeah, we're going to do this. So, uh, you know, part of it, you said, are they watching to wait and see what's going on with Vegas, which has had a kind of a spike? But I don't, I just don't think it's as outlandish here as, as it's being projected around the country. I think it's a combination of it's a perfect storm. I think there's the, there was, you know, a reopening that I think people were doing due diligence on. But wrapped around the reopening, right before that, was a week worth of the public unrest and the protests. And we're, whatever, two weeks away from that. And I, I think I think that's a large part of what the spikes are, because they're saying demographically a lot more people that are getting this are younger. So I think it was, it, it to me, it may be even more the protest than the reopening that has led to these spikes. And we'll see it at the end of this week. If all of a sudden, hopefully, there's this massive drop-off back to uh, a better sense of normalcy here where things were trending that way. But I think the league was waiting maybe a little bit to see what the deal was in Vegas. They're talking Vegas and Toronto were starting to sound like the favorites. Edmonton's got the facilities. There's nothing going on there from the, the COVID perspective. But the players got to vote on this, and they've got a say in it. So we're waiting to hear. But it's they'd say Chicago's still in the hopper. I'd be hard-pressed to think that would happen. Chicago would only be stopgap if for some reason they said, oh, we're worried about Vegas. Um, I don't know. I, I can't get a read on the Edmonton or Toronto thing. It seemed like it was, you know, Toronto gained a lot of steam. The other thing that's come out that I think will happen, that uh, they had talked about, you know, if, if Vegas and Toronto per se – where the teams that the West Western Conference teams would go east and the East teams would come west. I don't think that's happened. I think they'll live with the fact that if Vegas and Toronto, you know, made the finals, they'll take the PR hit. Well, they got to play at home. Well, there's no fans. And they got to they had to stay at a hotel. But it's TV would rule all here. You don't want the Western teams in the Eastern time zone and the fans in the West watching they having to watch one of their teams play at four in the afternoon when people are still working. And you don't want these guys playing hockey games at 10.30 at night. So I think the Eastern Conference teams are going to stay in the Eastern venue and the Western Conference team will stay in the Western venue. So I I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I think so, too. I I did see that I believe Toronto's mayor mandated masks today or yesterday, something like that. So I don't know if that's maybe a little bit of a precursor to suggest that, you know, with the Blue Jays coming back, with the NHL probably being there, Maybe that's kind of a precursor to that sort of a, well, uh, in, a preemptive in a, measure. In a weird way, like Vegas extended the Phase 3 for another month. And you said, oh, that's not good news. Well, actually, the NHL could look at that and say, no, that's good news. If there's going to be less people out and about. And these guys are going to be you know, in a bubble. So technically, it shouldn't matter. But if, if they're imposing masks in, in Toronto and they're extending Phase 3 
in Vegas, and that means less people on the streets are in proximity to these guys. Instead of it, you view it like, oh, that's not good news. But for the NHL, they'll go, that's great for us. I don't want to keep you too long, but real quick, what would you think of the draft lottery? Eh, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I'm a Sabres fan. I, I know all about, you know, losing lotteries. I got a bunch of friends uh, uh, that are Red Wings fans. They got they got ripped apart, I mean, to, to go from one to four. And believe me, Ottawa's sitting there the favorite with the second and third pick, and they, they end up with third and fifth. And, you know, God knows, you know, a Pittsburgh or a Chicago or somebody like that, uh, you know, walks in and, and wins the gets this kid, you know, and he ends up playing next to Sidney Crosby. And then they've got an heir apparent for, you know, Crosby. Uh, it, it is what it is. I don't know. I mean, in a perfect world, I mean, in this in this one instance, you could say it should have been only the seven teams that didn't make it. But at the same time, you know, you had a bunch of teams that weren't going to make the playoffs that now they're doing the, the, hey, you get a shot to play, you know, in this tournament and you're nowhere near good enough, but you, you were out of the lottery. I, they, I think they did the best with what they could do, but it was almost predictable that the league would get another day of hype out of this, that the, you know, the, the clear number one pick, uh, there'll be another night of drama. Uh, for the league to get the news out that who won the first pick. It, it was an odd dynamic, but it's a weird time. So I guess I think they did the best they could do with it. Don't I don't, I don't think Red Wings or Senators fans are buying that. No, I don't think so either. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how people check out those two shows of yours? Yep, KSHP.com live noon to 2. Uh, Pacific time, and the shows are available at sportsbookradio.com uh, via archive, and I tweet the links out uh, at Brian Blessing. And, um, you know, we get great guests, the sportsbook directors in town on Sportsbook Radio, great guests from the hockey world. Uh, today, Daniel Negreanu, in fact, is uh, going to be coming on Vegas Hockey Hotline, and I believe that they might have an update on the World Series of Poker. I saw him tweeting out uh, some news and notes on that, so we'll have a little, little hockey and poker talk today. There we go. Always great to chat with you, Brian. Once again, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing to get the links for Sportsbook Radio and also Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, Adam, buddy. Have a good day. There you go. There's Brian Blessing, once again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, sportsbookradio.com, kshp.com, and at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Coming up on Thursday, the return of the Betters Box. We'll, we'll be back on the air talking Major League Baseball. Five and fly segment for the AL East. Five minutes on all five teams. Then preview the KBO for this weekend. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Thursday.